Just very blessed to be able to bring you God's Word this morning. Um, I'm sure a lot of you are still recovering from Thanksgiving, um, probably still coming out of food comas and digesting leftovers. Uh, I know I am. So uh, really glad you can make it out. And, and I love this time of year. I love the holidays. I love Thanksgiving. I love the fact that we're coming up on Christmas. Uh, and I'm, I'm thankful that we're preaching a passage this morning. We're going to examine a passage that uh, applies always, everywhere, all situations. But even more specifically, has some things, some light to shed on how we as believers behave uh, in this time of year, how we behave during the holidays uh, in a time where we we're supposed to be giving thanks and this idea of gifts and material possessions floating around the, the theme of Christmas. And what we're going to see in God's word today is that we are called to be a people who have all things in common. We're called to be a people. Christians are called to be a people who have all things in common. Uh, and if you're not a believer, um, I'm sure you'll be blessed as well by what you hear. And uh, pray that it would, it would shed light on why Christians behave the way they do, why we are different than the world around us. Um, now, to do that, we'll, we'll look at the book of Acts, um, specifically in chapter 4. Uh, but first, I want to give you a little bit of background to kind of help the setting of the passage we'll be in. Um, so Acts, I believe, if you're looking in a pew Bible, if you're not familiar with the Bible, it's, it's on page 909. It's, it's towards the front of the Bible. Um, and Acts, what Acts is, is the first uh, history book that follows the Gospels. We have the Gospel accounts in the New Testament that tell us the, the life and works of Jesus Christ. And then Luke, this is kind of the second volume of the Gospel according to Luke, he pens a book called Acts, or sometimes known as the Acts of the Apostles, that kind of kind of explains for us and tells us about the, uh, the beginning of the church age, what we'll call the church age. Uh, if you look in Acts chapter 1, Christ is following Christ's death, following his, he's already atoned for sins, he's resurrected from the dead, and Christ is ministering uh, to his disciples. Uh, and he's told them they're going to go and be his witness to the ends of the earth. And then in chapter 1, verse 10, it says, And while they were gazing uh, into the heaven, so he's ascended into heaven, it says, And while they were gazing into the heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you look into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Christ ascends into heaven and these two men uh, appear to them and say, Why are you looking up into heaven? They're, they're rebuking him because they're saying, He told you to go. Um, you have something you were called to do, which is to be a witness to the world, right? Witness to the ends of the earth. But Christ also promised the, the church that he would send another comforter who would enable them to fulfill what he commissioned them to do. Right. So you have the, the disciples, they kind of there's a kind of a lull in the text here. Where they, they wander through Jerusalem, they go into a, a room and they pray. And then chapter two, verse one says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance. Many people would say this is the, the ushering in of the church age right here. Christ has ascended into heaven. He has promised to send another comforter who we know is the Holy Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit has come. Believers, when they repent and believe, are now members of the church. The Spirit indwells them, and they belong to the church that Christ himself is building. If you keep reading through, you'll see two uh, sermons are preached. The gospel is now being preached boldly by the disciples. Thousands of people are coming to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And then when we get to our passage in chapter 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 32 to 35, we have a massive number of believers 
Right? Many of these believers had, had migrated into Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost, so they're not even locals, but they have heard the gospel, repented and believed, and there are now thousands of believers uh, all gathered together as, a, as the body of Christ, the, the, the foundation of the church right here. Uh, and this is the passage that, this is where our passage, uh, the setting for the passage we'll be examining today. And in chapter 4, verse 32, I'm going to read our passage aloud. It says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of his things belonged to him, or any of his things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. And we'll look at three things from this passage, three things that uh, describe this church here, and that is uh, they all have a common connection. Our first point would be the, the common connection that everyone in this passage has. They all have a common controller. That will be number two. And then they all give for the common good. Point number three. So point number one, the common connection. Verse 32 says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Notice first it says the full number of those who believed. As far as I can tell, this is the entire church. Everyone who has repented and believed in Jesus Christ in the world is right here in this passage. The gospel has just been proclaimed. There may be a few who are off on the other side of Jerusalem who wandered away and haven't made it back yet. But, but for the most part, this is the church, the entire church. This is how all believers are behaving at this time. And we, we think it's, it's somewhere around 5,000 people. Verse four, four, chapter 4, verse 4, tells us around 5,000 people. right? And it says they were all of one heart and one soul. Now, if you read through Scripture and, and study what heart and soul means, it, it's uh, often used to, to, to indicate the control center of a body. The most important part of the body, vital to life, the heart and soul. Here we think of the great commandment. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. There's this great emphasis placed on these areas of the body because their importance and the control that they have over the body. Nothing, no part of the body can function apart from the heart and soul. And these believers, upon repenting and believing in Jesus Christ, become members of one body, one heart, one soul. It's very powerful language and it's very convicting if we stop to think about the implications of being members of one body with one heart and one soul. Um, this, it's, it's no wonder that Paul continue, or the Bible continually uses this idea of body language. We are members of one body. Paul says this when describing the gifts in Romans. He says, you are all different members of a body. You, you vary, but you are all to contribute to this one body. You are inextricably linked to one another. You know, illustration, you think of the, the human body, um, you know, if me and my wife, Roseanne, uh, if we get into a car wreck, right, if, if, I, if I'm riding with my wife and we crash and Roseanne's arm gets severed off and then me, I'm dying and in my, my dying breath, I say, Roseanne, I want you to have my arm, you know, and, and the doctors take it and they sew it onto my wife, it's my dying wish, uh, a few things will happen. Number one, she's going to have a really goofy looking big man arm, right? But she will also have a limb that is now dependent upon her body to function and survive. If this limb does not incorporate itself fully into her body, if there's not this sharing of nutrients, if the blood does not flow back and forth, if this limb tries to hoard off to itself and rejects this connection that's being made, the limb will die. 
It cannot function apart from the body, right? Likewise, this limb has to be used to care for the rest of the body. This is the way our bodies function. We all know this, right? If my foot is aching, what do I do? My hands are used to go get a bag of ice. I might call the doctor with my other hand. I might do a lot of things with my body, but I got to care for this one part because I'm a member of this. uh, All my different members are members of this one body. And the idea of these believers being of one heart and one soul is they are multiple people, but they are all members of this one spiritual body, which is the body of Christ. Now, it's very silly to think that a limb or anyone could, could ever have a limb that functioned apart from the body that wasn't fully incorporated into their heart and soul. Yet the American church often tries to do this. Right? How many Christians do we know right, that go around searching for churches or they want to be members of a body, yet they really don't want to be one body with these people, one heart and one soul? Right? They, want, they, they, they want to receive from the church. Many people want the resources. Maybe they just want the music. Maybe they just want to uh, you know, check off their box saying that they've been to a church and they're doing their good deeds. But they, most of the time, a lot of times, they want the least amount of connection. I don't want to be given back and forth. I don't want these people up into my life. Um, uh, Yet a a physical body cannot function that way, and neither can a spiritual body. And these believers in this passage know that, right? They understand that they have to be incorporated into one body, and they are one heart and one soul. And the natural effect from that says, and it tells us in the second half of the verse, it says, no one said any of the things belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Right? They understand, I belong to this body now, therefore all of my stuff belongs to this body as well. Just like the arm doesn't, doesn't hoard what it has, it gives it, it supplies it to the rest of the body, they see everything they have as being for the common good of the body. Now this is not a Marxism passage, this is not a passage to support communism. There have been people in the history uh, who have tried to use this and say that this, is, um, this means that all human beings should give up all of their possessions into this big pool and divvy it up. Number one, what's in view here is not all of mankind, what's in view is the church, and we can see that this is a willful giving, it's not a forced giving or a manipulation. Um, uh, So it does not mean that we are are to give for some sort of merit or we are commanded to just give up everything we have. But what it does mean is that those who are plugged into the body understand that everything they have is best used to contribute to the body as a whole. And they understand how their health is dependent upon the the health, the spiritual well-being of all the other members of the body. Do we understand and believe as Christians, as members of a local body, that we are just as inextricably linked to one another as the members of the people in this passage are? I, this was convicting for me as I, as I went through this and I thought, and I said, man, when, when, when I think of the pain and suffering or those in my local body who are going without, do I understand that that is inextricably linked to my well-being as well? Right, when news of a, another church member, maybe uh, another church member who's just struggled with sin, maybe another church member who has just went, hit, hit, hit some sort of poverty situation where they, they've lost their job, maybe they've just found out that uh, their, their parents are dying of cancer, maybe they lost a spouse that's about to leave them, maybe their kids have wandered from the faith and they're struggling. When they are struggling and this news makes it to my ears first, is the first thing that comes to my mind is a member of the same body that I'm a member of is in, in, in harm or they are suffering and that is the same body I'm a part of that I need to fix that. I need to care for them. I need to minister to them with everything I've got because we are members of the same body. Or 
Or do we think that, man, this, this might cost me a lot. I kind of want to detach myself a little bit from this uh, because it might infringe on what I want to do with my life and my personal uh, well-being, my things, my body. All right, so if we, if we understand that we are members of one body, and all Christians are, everyone who believes in Jesus Christ is a part of the body of Christ, then we should react the same way these believers do, which is being of one heart and one soul and seeing everything that we have for the common good of the body. So what fuels this connection? Right? If you're struggling with what I just covered, you don't understand how this heart and soul works, or if you're uh, um, wondering why, maybe you don't feel this way. Maybe, maybe hey, I've struggled with this, and I don't understand why I don't see us as members of one body. Maybe I, I don't see all of my things as for the good of the, the common good of the body. Then I hope our next point will, will shed more light on that. Um, we look at verse 33. We see that they have a common controller. Verse 33 says, And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Now, if you read straight through this passage, this verse almost looks a little bit out of place. Right? You, have, you have a verse where it says that people view their possessions in a certain way and they're doing something. Then you have it, it kind of moves over and it says the apostles are preaching about the resurrection. And then it moves back to talking about in verse 35 or 34, 35. We'll see next back to talking about uh, what the believers are doing. But I think what the, the text is doing, what the author is doing here is showing that there is a connection between what the apostles are saying and what these believers are doing. If we look at the verse preceding this, verse 31, the one right before our passage, it says, And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. So you have the apostles gathering and praying, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They preach the word of God, more specifically, the resurrection of Christ. And because the apostles of their preaching on the resurrection, and this is a, a continual preaching, the text, the idea, the, the word that's communicated in the text, it means that they are. this is continually going on and on. They're preaching over and over and over, and the believers are receiving it over and over and over. Because of what they are preaching, uh, um, uh, these, these believers began to behave in a certain way. They are likewise being filled with the Spirit. They are now believers. They have the indwelling Holy Spirit. And as they hear this news of the resurrection, they hear the Word of God preached. They hear the gospel message preached over and over. They behave in a certain way. They understand this idea that they are members of a body and all of their possessions being for the common good. When they understand the gospel message, they understand that they are no longer to find satisfaction in their stuff. Their things are not of this eternal value to them anymore. See, from the birth, from the, from, from the very time that we come into this world, we are sinners and we are idolaters and we have a longing for eternal satisfaction. Everybody in the world has a longing to be satisfied eternally and forever. But because of their sin nature, we immediately begin to seek it in material possessions in this world. We try to fill an eternal void with temporary items, right? We accumulate. You see from the, I have a son and he's a wonderful son. I love him to death, but uh, I see his sin nature in him already. And that he, he, what makes him happy is the more stuff he can get. And he's already, we're already having issues with him and his cousins. I'm having to discipline him and teach him that you can't just go. He's, he's only one and he already understands. Well, if I could go, I'm bigger than my cousin who's a few weeks younger than him. Uh, and he understands I can go take his stuff and that will make me happy because I want more stuff. 
Right? He wants to take it all to himself, and it just continues through our life. We grab one thing after another after another. We become convinced that these items will bring us some sort of joy that is missing from our life. And before we know it, we've accumulated this mound of things, and we still are no closer to that eternal joy than we were the very first day that we started. We're afraid to let go of it a lot of times because we're afraid some sort of joy will be lost when we actually let go of these items. Right? We just celebrated Thanksgiving. And for a majority of people, you just look across America, a majority of people are, for one, they're giving thanks to your quote-unquote God. Many of them don't know him. I even read an article the other day about how atheists can give thanks on Thanksgiving. I'm not sure to who or how that's supposed to work. But they come together, they give thanks to God because of all the stuff that they have. Right. And they're, they're so thankful because of the, the possessions they've accumulated. And then many of them can't even get the thanks words out of their mouth. And they're already lined up at Walmart, ready to trample some old lady for a remote control car because they are convinced that this item is going to bring them some sort of joy. Right. They take the Christmas message, a, a holiday. We'll, we'll talk about a little bit later, but that holiday that uh, is is is. Uh, to, to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ and has been turned into a holiday where many people think, well, this might, I might actually be able to fill this void with some temporary item. I might be able to get it and finally get this satisfaction in my stuff. And as believers, you know, we're not above this. Uh, I struggle with this. Uh, the other day I was, I was on the, the Internet. I was um, uh, looking at uh, Under Armour to see if they had some new gym clothes. Right? I wanted to buy some stuff. Uh, and then I saw Under Armour has an after the gym line. So it's stuff that you wear, not to go to the gym, but not to get to work either. Like, you don't work in it. It's just stuff you wear after the gym so you look like you went to the gym, <laughs> right? And you click, the first thing that hit me was like, that is ridiculous. Who would ever buy that? And then I click it, and an hour later, I'm convinced that I just need all of these after the gym. I don't even need to go to the gym. I just get all the after the gym line and then I'm going to have this joy because I'm going to feel great in my new after the gym line. And people are going to be like, man, guy, he goes to the gym, right? Because he wears the after the gym line. And I've, I, I, did, I, had to, I had to repent afterwards because I was like, there is this joy I feel. And it's just hours I wasted of my life looking at all of this stuff, thinking, man, if I get all this stuff, I will make me happy. And the truth is I could buy everything on that entire Under Armour site and in about a week it would be old. I wouldn't even touch it. I'd probably just be sitting in my closet rotting somewhere. And then I would end up giving it all away and I'd be on to the next thing trying to find this joy, right? But the believer who clings to the resurrection of Jesus Christ does not behave this way. When we understand the resurrection, when we understand the gospel message, when we are filled with the Spirit and we are taking in God's Word and we know the joy in the world, you know, this joy that the world is searching for is only found in Jesus Christ. We place all of our hope and we are filled and we have this eternal satisfaction knowing the joy that awaits the believer at the end of this life, the eternal joy that awaits us. These believers here understand it. They understand that the world is perishing. They understand their bodies are perishing. They understand that everything that they have in their possession, one day the moth and the rust will destroy. But because they know who Jesus Christ is, the resurrected Lord, and they know that he lives, as long as he lives forever, they live forever with him. They look at what they have. They know that joy is not found in this stuff, and they begin to wonder, how do I take my material possessions, these temporary earthly possessions that the moth and rust will destroy, and how do I turn them into heavenly treasures? Right? Jesus Christ says this in Matthew 6.20. He tells us, he says, uh, um, uh, Do not store up treasures on earth where the moth and rust will destroy, but store them up in heaven where the moth and rust cannot destroy. The, the unbeliever, the world, is storing up treasures that will one day perish. 
Everything that they have, all of their stuff will one day burn. And when a believer understands the resurrection, when he understands that I have this eternal life awaiting me and heaven is what is forever, this eternal glory that will last forever, I look to my possessions and the natural reaction is to turn and say, God, how can I use this for your glory? How can I use this and turn this into blessings that will never leave me? Right? A car that I have is a material blessing and it will one day perish and it will never bring any eternal satisfaction. Yet when I sacrifice some of my sleep, I get up earlier and I use that car to go pick up people, take, take people where they need to go to get them to church. Or I take that car to, 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 to go gather up individuals and go share the gospel to the world that is around us. Then, then or when I, when I just simply minister to, to maybe someone at my workplace or another believer getting them rides to work, I'm beginning to, to take my temporary possession right and i'm sacrificing that and i'm using it to store up heavenly treasures the question we should ask ourselves is where is our heart at what consumes our mind right is the gospel message is the 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 eternal life that i have in jesus christ enough for me or am i convinced that that just one more possession will bring this satisfaction that i'm longing for you know, what, what, what consumes me throughout my day? What, what is that one thing that I think I, I have to have? Am I convinced that, hey, I'm a Christian and God is 99% good, but if I just get this one thing here, that will bring me eternal joy because the truth is it will never bring that. And those who have truly clinged to the, the truth of the gospel message, when they really understand what they have in Jesus Christ, uh, they, they no longer search for this eternal joy in temporary possessions. They no longer look for it in finally getting through school and getting my degree, getting the job that I want, getting the car that I want, getting the house that I want, getting the wife or the husband that I want. They understand none of this will ever fulfill them eternally. And they say, no, I, I, I don't seek it in uh, uh, this joy in temporary possessions. I seek it in the eternal life that I have with my Savior, Jesus Christ. So we've seen that when the body and us individually as part of it is controlled by the Holy Spirit, we view our possessions for the common good of the body. And lastly, we see the result of believers having all things in common, which is that these believers begin to give for the common good. They give for the common good. Verse 34 and 35 says, There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. The last verse shows us that they actually began to depart with their possessions for the good of other members of the body. Many of these believers, as I said earlier, they, they had migrated to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. Thousands of people had come, had, had traveled hundreds of miles. They come from all over the known world for the Feast of Pentecost. When the gospel was preached, they turned, they repented, they believed, they placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And now they, they've stayed because this is where the, the word of God is being preached and they, they haven't been home yet. They have nothing. Right? I'm sure they didn't pack very much. They were coming for a week-long feast. Uh, they didn't pack enough to just set up shop there and stay forever. Uh, they are going without. Their, so there are literally thousands of believers without anything. And, and those who reside in Jerusalem, those who are local, who have also repented and believed, they look to what they have. They look to the needs of the church. And then they take what they have and they begin selling it so they can provide for the needs of all these believers. It says they laid it down at the apostles' feet. Whatever they sold, they took the money, laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need, to the point that there was not a single needy, suffering person among them. 
Now, I, I would fail if I told you know if, you, if I, I sent you away thinking that God's word demands that uh, you sell everything that you have and you come give your, the church your money. That is not what this passage is indicating, right? Um, it's not what I'm trying to persuade you to do. Uh, there's no merit to be earned in renouncing your possessions. Many throughout history have attempted that. We have tons of monks who have thought that they were holier than everyone else because they could just give up all of their stuff and go live off in the forest somewhere um, uh, in a tree trunk or whatever, uh, thinking that this made them made them holier. That's not what the passage is, is um, uh, claiming. And in fact, if you read on to chapter 5, you'll read about a couple, Ananias and Sapphira, who uh, they actually tried to earn some merit by giving their stuff. Uh, They sold it, then they were kind of deceptive about how much money they got and tried to give it also that they would get some sort of credit for it. uh, And God actually killed them. They died. Um, I don't know if you'll die if you do it, but I wouldn't try it. Um, The passage also gives no indication that every Christian in this congregation sold everything they have and gave it up. Um, It really wouldn't make any sense if, they had 3,000 people out of a home, and then the other 2,000 went and sold all their homes, so now nobody had a home. Um, that's, not what, that's not what it's saying, um, nor is it saying that in order to give, you have to give directly to the church. What it is, though, is it shows us the context of the church, and what this probably looked like was, hey, these, these believers don't have, they're going without, and there's a way for them to sell some of their stuff. There's a way for people to start shacking up with one another so that they can sell something very valuable to them. Uh, in order to care for these believers. And what I want us to take away from the text is uh, the extent that these believers were willing to give in order to glorify God, right? It says they offered up their homes. Um, This means they offered up the most valuable thing that they had in order to glorify God. The situation presented itself where glorifying God and caring for the body meant giving up the most valuable possession that they had. And they, they, they did. it doesn't even say they hesitated. It says they just began laying it down in order to provide. And we shouldn't feel bad about our salaries, right? Uh, or the simple fact that God's placed us in abundant settings. Many try to guilt trip the wealthy simply for what God has given them. That, that's not my intention. Scripture indicates that God gives some more than others, and that's okay. But what I am trying to get us to question and examine is our heart's disposition towards the possessions that we have. When we look at this passage, we see believers that are so joyfully and willingly using everything they have for the good of the body. And we have to ask ourselves, am I just as eager Am I just as willing to take everything that I have and give it for the glory of God? Am I just as eager to fulfill the purpose to which God has called us, which as His church is to be sanctified as a body and to make Him known to the world around us? Am I so eager to do that that I look at everything that I have and think of how can I use this in order to accomplish that purpose? And this is the result when we do this. If if you'll turn with me, let's look at Acts chapter 2. If we look at Acts chapter 2, it's just a few pages to the left. I'm going to read another passage for us. It's very similar. It parallels the passage that we're in right now. It says, chapter four, verse 42 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. 
And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. And verse 47 says, Praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Because of the believers who were behaving this way, because they are finding so little satisfaction in the material things of this world because their joy is found in Jesus Christ and they are coming together and functioning as believers of one body, one heart, one soul. They are a witness to the entire world around them and God uses that to make himself known to the unbelievers that see the church and they are safe. The unbelievers who witness this, many of them are convicted because they realize the futile pursuits of chasing these possessions and what they're doing and they turn and see the church, they see something very different and God uses that to redeem them, to grant them repentance and bring them to be a part of the body of Christ. Every single time there's an opportunity to glorify God with what he has given us to contribute to the body, we we make a choice. And if that choice is to pursue fleshly passions, if it's to go and try to seek this eternal satisfaction in some temporary good, then we are deciding that my temporary earthly satisfaction is now more important than the salvation of the lost individuals who are around me. And we tell the world who is watching us that my God is not enough. It's not enough that I have this eternal life in Jesus Christ. And because that's not enough, I have to go seek that in something else. And we fail to witness to the body. We show them that we're just like everybody else in this world. Yet when we find eternal satisfaction in the gospel of Jesus Christ and we take our joy out of those possessions, we show the world the joy that is found in God, a joy they cannot obtain unless they place their faith in Jesus Christ. If we want to see an example of this, all we have to do is look to our Savior who made a very similar choice himself. Flip maybe to uh, Philippians chapter 2. It's going to be uh, several books to the right. It's a a book that comes uh, um, right after the book of Ephesians. I'm going to read this entire passage. Verses 1 to 11, it says, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and on heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. Jesus Christ possessed more riches than we could ever possibly imagine. He existed from eternity past. He's existed with the Father in this perfect, harmonious relationship where there is no sin, 
There is no imperfection. There is nothing but this glorious existence that he had yet. He gave it up. He did not give up his deity, but he did give up this perfect, peaceful existence to come down to a filthy, sinful world. And he did it so that he could suffer and die and take what he had, which was perfect righteousness, and give that to the believers to give that to people who had nothing to offer him so that they could be righteous and so that they could spend eternity with him. You know, when we think that giving up some of our possessions is going to somehow bring some suffering that we can't live without or letting go of something in order to love the body or contribute to the good of the whole, we should just turn back and look at Jesus Christ. And this is so fitting because this is the Christmas message. This is the message of Christmas, not a message of, hey, what can I get under my, in my stocking or under my Christmas tree? But it's the message of God taking on human flesh and, and doing that. Why, why the incarnation is so important is because of the, the death and resurrection that would follow it so that he could give his righteousness to us. And for that, we have eternal life. And may that lead us, the, the, the very thought of that lead us to behave the very same way we see the people in this church behaving. All of us have been given something and we are called to use everything that we have been given. If we are believers in Christ, we are called to use that for his glory and for the good of the body of believers. In conclusion, I'll just give you a few things I sat on. You know, if you're looking at yourself and you're like, I don't know what I have to give. I don't know how to use what I have to give. Um, Just a few things to kind of get you started. Um, Number one, you have time. We have 24 hours a day, seven days a week that God has given us and he's given you every single second for the rest of your life. He's given that to you so that you can accomplish his purposes. You have time. You have time to spend in prayer. You have time to minister to believers. Examine your time and think, hey, God has given me all of this time in my life. How much of my time am I dedicating to fulfilling God's purposes and how much time am I dedicating to fulfilling earthly pleasures? The second thing we have is we have energy. Give your time and your energy to ministering to the body and glorifying God. Give your energy to serving the body. Give your energy to labor with the body. You know, when it comes down to it, I, I had to examine my life, you know, just to, to share a personal confession. I had to ditch my cell phone for the two hours at night. I was staying up, wasting two hours of sleep so that I could play on my cell phone for a while. I was devoting my time and energy to fulfilling this worldly satisfaction. And therefore, I had to sleep in in the morning. And, and, and a few times I started missing my little prayer. My prayers became shorter and shorter in the morning because I'm rushing off to do the other things I need to do. And it's like, no, if I, if I devote my energy to serve in the body i can i can wake up two hours earlier or spend those two hours at night spending my time and my energy praying for these members of my local body praying for the people who i claim to be inextricably linked to and then thirdly we can actually begin to give our stuff we can look to what we have and i'm like i said i'm not saying we need to go home and sell it but we do need to look at everything that we have everything that God has given us and thank God, why have you placed this in my possession and how do I use this to glorify you throughout my time here on earth? Everything you have, everything God has given you, there is a way to glorify him by using it to, to contribute to his purposes for your life. And we should examine everything that we have and seek to do that with it. And lastly, if you are not a believer, if you are still vainly pursuing joy by obtaining worldly riches, if you're still convinced that there's one more thing that will satisfy you, you should know that it won't. Nothing you have ever obtained in your life has ever brought the satisfaction that you're looking for, and nothing you will ever obtain in this world will ever bring that satisfaction. 
But there is hope because of the passage that I just read, because of what Jesus Christ did when he came to this earth and he died on a cross for the sins of man. He died so that believers could be made right with God, so that you could receive, this passage was lived out, so that you could receive what he has to offer you, which is his righteousness that will bring eternal life. If you look at that passage again, it says, in the end of that passage, it says, so that at the name, verse 10, so that the name, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every knee will bow to Jesus Christ. Understand that. And understand that if you are clinging to these possessions that you think this was what's going to bring me eternal joy, this is where all of my hope is in this possession, that possession will never bring you joy. And in fact, it will bring nothing but eternal suffering when, it, when, when you reach the end of this life and you realize that all it did was get you a ticket right into hell. But if you repent of your sins, if you understand your sins and you repent and place your faith in the work of Jesus Christ, you, just like that arm, will be grafted in to the body of Jesus Christ. You will be given this eternal life that will never perish and you will spend all of eternity. You will know the joy that these Christians in this passage know. You will know the joy that the believers in this local body know. And when this whole world perishes and all those items finally do burn, you will be a part of this body that lives for all of eternity in the presence of God. Let us pray. Father God, just thank you so much for this time you've given us to gather together and open up your word and hear such beautiful truths and see how true believers, how those who know who you are, who those who know who, what salvation really is, who have eternal life in Jesus Christ, see how they respond to that. And that is that they find no joy Right? No, you know, no satisfaction do they seek in the worldly possessions, but they find their joy in the eternal life you have granted them, and they find their joy in then using what they have to minister to the body. They use what they have to minister uh, to the body of Christ, Lord, and they, they exercise this love by laying down possessions, by laying down everything they have for your glory. God, I pray that we would just examine our own lives, the context we live in, though it may be a bit different than the church that we just looked at, Lord. The call is still the same for us to use what we have for your glory, knowing that we have this eternal joy found in Jesus Christ. Lord, let us really ask ourselves, uh, are we matching up to that? Lord, does my life resemble the believers that we just looked at in this passage? Does the world look at the way that we live our lives, uh, Lord, as Christians? And do they see people who have this joy that they find in Jesus Christ, God, and, and, and these people who, who do not seek satisfaction in earthly things, God? Lord, I pray that any area of our life where we see that we are failing, Lord, we would repent and place all of our faith in you, God, and that we would uh, um, uh, realize just how much more satisfying and gratifying the peace of knowing Jesus Christ is and all of this stuff that we have. Lord, I pray, especially in this holiday season, as the world is uh, celebrating in such a different way and for so many other reasons, God, that the way we celebrate, the way we conduct ourselves, the way we behave would be a witness to the world around us. Lord, I pray the way we even conduct ourselves in this local body right here this morning would be a witness to the watching world, God. And I pray that if there are people in this very room who do not know Jesus Christ, Lord, if they are still vainly pursuing eternal joy in the possessions of this world, God, that you would open up their eyes to see how vain that pursuit is, how futile the pursuit of possessions is, Lord, and that you would grant them repentance and that they would turn from their sins and place their faith in Jesus Christ and be grafted into his body, Lord, maybe even grafted into this local body right here, God, and become a part 
part of your church, what will live on for eternity, God. Lord, I pray that uh, throughout the rest of this service, through the singing, the fellowship, everything that follows, Lord, we would do that in light of the salvation that we have, God, and we would continue to bring glory to your name. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.